I'm Noel Hulsman, and this is Open Concept from Yahoo Finance. This week, we're talking about keeping going when everyone says you should just give up. Hi, my name is Stuart Lombard. I'm one of the founders and the CEO of Ecobee, and we make connected home devices. In 2009, Ecobee created the first ever smart thermostat. You could program it from anywhere through your phone, meaning you could easily save energy and do something good for the planet. And Stuart Lombard was feeling pretty good about things. But then, out of nowhere, came the nest. It was also a smart thermostat backed by Google. It had a lot of money behind it and a lot of buzz. It was a big deal. The venture capitalist told Stuart that Ecobee was toast and that he should just quit now. And I remember standing outside First Canadian Place and it was February, it was freezing, and it was so cold and I was shivering. And I was so stressed that I don't smoke but I remember like bumming a smoke off a guy on the street corner and I'm sitting there on the street corner and I'm smoking and I'm thinking like, you know, do I give up? Do I give up? Should I just pack it in? And I remember at that time, like just thinking like, you know, the day that I give up is the day they take the keys out of my cold dead hand. Today, Ecobee is on the up. This year, they've secured 130 million in venture financing and increased the number of their employees from 280 to 460. Here's the story of how Stuart Lombard kept going and what he learned along the way. Stuart, thank you so much for coming in today. We're really pleased to have you. Connected home devices, what does that mean? So, you know, our mission is really to think about our, our our customers and our customers' lives. Our customers' lives are busy, right? And so we're thinking about how do we make devices that make your life simpler and better so you can focus on the things that you really want to, uh, you know, your family, your friends, and the moments that you share together. Um, So we're best known for our thermostats, so we make Wi-Fi connected thermostats. Um, We've just brought out a really exciting line of light switches. Um, They include speakers and microphones, so you can speak to them like an Alexa voice assistant. Um, You know, my favorite is, uh, you know, asking my kids to take out the garbage. Uh, Works really well. Uh, But whether it's like play music or change the temperature or turn on the lights. You can do all those things. Uh, anything really you can do with uh, Amazon Alexa Dot. Now, far be it for me to mention the competition right off the top, but <laughs> there is a temptation, I think, when people are thinking about uh, the, the thermostat, Wi-Fi, to yeah. think of Nest, right? Um, how, how does the Ecobee product differ from, from what Nest offers? So I think, you know, if you think just about the product, um, you know, I think one of our, our greatest innovations is, you know, we were talking to consumers and consumers said, you know, I love your thermostat, um, but if you could solve these hot and cold spots in my house, I would love you forever, right? And, um, and so we developed these wireless room sensors that measure temperature and occupancy. And so we know what rooms you're actually using because with other thermostats, you might be comfortable in the hallway where your thermostat is, but that doesn't mean it's comfortable in the rooms you actually use. So now we know what rooms you're in, we can make comfortable in the rooms that you actually live in. Um, And overall, what's really great about it is not only are people more comfortable, um, but you save more energy as well, because we can do a much better job of telling whether you're actually home and then turning down your equipment when you're not there. How do the sensors actually work? Uh, When you, you buy them, 
the consumer buys them, do they go and put them on themselves? Yeah, so they're these little cute room sensors. Um, they look a bit like the Pixar lamp. So if you remember like the Pixar lamp, uh, they're really cute. They're about uh, maybe three centimeters tall and two centimeters wide. Um, and you can put them in the rooms that you either use more, most often or where, the, where you have a lot of traffic. And basically we measure how much occupancy there is in a room. And so if there's a lot of activity in a room, we know you're in that room. And then we have this intelligent algorithm that basically weights the different temperature readings we get from around your house and make sure it's comfortable in the rooms that you're actually using. And so if I haven't been in the bedroom, because I don't go in there till like nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, so does it keep that room cool? until I enter, that, is that how it works? So it won't make uh, crazy changes to your house temperature, okay. right? It, the whole house will get a little bit warmer or a little bit cooler. We're not a zoning system, so we can't say, you know, make that room, you know, 22 degrees and that room 16 degrees. Um, but what we can say is that we know that you're in your living room as an example. And if you want it to be 21 degrees in your living room, we'll make sure it's 21 degrees in your living room where you actually are. Um, and so overall, you're more comfortable. And I think what's really exciting about this is, you know, a big part of, I think, to your previous question about how we're different from Nest, you know, we're very focused on sustainability and really using innovation to create a more sustainable future. And what's great about this product is usually when people think about sustainability, they think, you know, cost way more and crappier product. Right, and what's really great about this is you're going to be way more comfortable, but you actually save more energy too. What inspired you to 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 launch Ecobee? Um, so it's funny. So you know, people ask me like, you know, what did you do? Wake up one morning and decide to start a thermostat company? I was like, pretty much. Um, you know, I didn't have any background in uh, heating and cooling. I, you know, none of us who were founders had ever done a consumer electronics product before. Um, but what we did was um, at the time. Um, I was really interested in reducing my environmental impact. And so I was going to buy a Prius, and my wife was like, oh, that sounds really expensive, don't do that. Um, and I actually put $26,000 of solar panels on my roof, and I'm like, wow, that's also very expensive. Um, but the insight we had was that heating and cooling is 40 to 70% of your home's energy use. So actually better managing your heating and cooling is the best thing that you can do. But, you know, the products of the market at the time were, you know, dumb as a doorknob. They were impossible to use. I'm an engineer. You know, I came home one one day and we have uh, we had at the time three children under the age of four, right? And our house was ten degrees. And Andrea, my wife, said, "Like, okay, one of you has to go, right? It's either you or the thermostat." And uh, and that's really the way that we started. Um, you know, if we could connect it to the internet, if we could make it way easier to use, um, if we could use data like weather to make smarter choices, how much better can we do? And what's really cool is we estimate our customers have saved enough energy to take the city of Miami off the grid. And so it's a massive impact. Well, wow. why did your wife not want you to buy a Prius? I think it was just the cost, okay. right? It was just like, okay, you just put $26,000 of solar panels yeah. on the roof. You're freezing me out of my house. And now you're going to buy a Prius. <laughs> like, <laughs> this has got to stop. And no Prius. Yeah. Um, did, you, did you always know you were going to be an entrepreneur? Was that something that was baked in? No. So, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of people ask me, um, you know, about career paths. Right. And, uh, you know, when I graduated from university, I remember I walked into one of my first job interviews and the person asked me, you know, what do you want to do with your life? Right. Or, you know, what do you want to do? And, uh, and I hadn't even thought of the question. Right. And so I was like, uh, during the headlights, I don't know. Right. Which is the wrong answer. If somebody asks you that in an interview, do not answer. I don't know. 
right? But the reality is I had no clue. And um, and really it was, it was about serendipity. And um, one of the reasons I became an entrepreneur was because I was lucky enough to have a horrible boss. And um, I worked for this great company, but I had a horrible boss. And so one day I just like, you know, walked into his office and I had a stack of about like 2,000 pages in my hands and he said something to me and I threw it in the air and said like take this job and shove it. Uh, and I packed everything I had into eight boxes, moved back in with my dad. It was one of the best days of my life um, and started my first company which was one of the first internet service providers in Canada. But it was all sort of serendipity. If I hadn't have had that horrible boss I probably would still be working there. Um, and so it's funny the way life turns out. People often learn a lot more from from failures. Not that the horrible boss was a failure of yours, but can you can you tell us a little bit about that experience of working with that individual? Um, you know, I think what it taught me was um, was really that you know anything is possible. That I think if you put your mind to something, um, you can create this vision. Um, and if you work hard at it, you you know, it can become a reality, right? And I think, you know, one of the things I'm most appreciative about Ecobee is I think, you know, fundamentally we're very optimistic, right? And we believe that we can create a better a better future and a better tomorrow. Um, and I think what I learned through that journey, not that it wasn't incredibly hard, not that I didn't arrive home with my eight boxes and my dad was like, you know, WTF, what are you doing here, <laughs> right? But, um, but it was an incredible opportunity to learn. And I think, you know, it's all about, you know, I think people say this about entrepreneurship in general, but a lot of it's about perseverance and kind of pushing through the hard times. And uh, so it's been exciting. It's an exciting journey. I, I, I want to ask you about the, the early days of, of Ecobee, but I'm just wondering with that, that boss had, did, uh, if it was him, did his management style, has that impacted how you, sort of uh, now manage or, or lead Ecobee? I think it has. I think, um, you know, I think, you know, really, he was a very autocratic person, right? And I think one of the things that we believe is that good ideas can come from anywhere. You know, we tell people all the time, like, if you're expecting, you know, great ideas to come from me, like Moses coming down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, you know, you're going to be sorely disappointed, right? Um, and so really this, you know, if you look at the way our office is built, um, if you look at the fact that we have, like, you know, every wall is a whiteboard. It's all about sort of collaboration and this idea that, you know, we have total transparency and that good ideas can come from anywhere and we don't care where the ideas come from as long as we get the good ideas. And so, um, you know, I think fundamentally, I would hope anyway, the CEOs always say this, but I would hope that it's a very different way of, of managing the business than, than certainly that I, I learned from that particular individual. The the early days, I don't know if you used the word obstacle or hurdle, but but did it seem in the early days like the challenge was formidable? The challenge was massive. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because when we started, people were like, first of all, when I, when I, when I started, I was working in venture capital at the world at the time. Sorry, I was working in venture capital at the time. And um, I don't know if you've seen the Scott Adams comic, but Scott Adams says venture capital is the only profession where you get paid an outrageous amount of money to be wrong 90% of the time. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so I had this cushy job and I was on the 44th floor and, you know, I overlooking the lake and all that kind of stuff. And I quit my job and my friends were like, you're bananas, right? Like, who cares about thermostats and what are you going to do six months from now? And, uh, and so, you know, it wasn't an obvious thing to, you know, quit this high paying job, you know, and, you know, start a thermostat company. Um, and so I think that was the first hurdle. And then, 
you know, starting any company, I think, is hard, right? You need to get traction. No one's heard of you. You need to build a product. Um, you need people to believe in you. You need to raise capital. Um, you know, and, and I remember I was, uh, you know, raising capital, and I think I was rejected 173 times. Um, and uh, I remember coming down one time, and Nest had come out, um, and, uh, you know, the venture capitalists all said the same thing. You know, fail fast. Life is too short. You know, just give up go do something else. And I remember standing outside First Canadian Place, and it was February, it was freezing, and it was so cold, and I was shivering, and I was so stressed that I don't smoke, but I remember, like, bumming a smoke off a guy on the street corner. And I'm sitting there on the street corner, and I'm smoking, and I'm thinking, like, you know, do I give up? Do I give up? Should I just pack it in? And I remember at that time, like, just thinking, like, you know, the day that I give up is the day they take the keys out of my cold, dead hand. And, you know, that sort of idea of just, like, you know, plow through and keep going. And, you know, I was very lucky that the, you know, the team stuck with me, we were able to raise some capital, you know, and if you wait long enough, good things happen. And, and that's what happened to us. The, that is a, an incredible display of, of perseverance and, and belief and conviction. But how did you, how did you know you were right? Well, I think uh, you don't. So that's the, the, the short answer is you don't. But I think you kind of, you know, what we came to understand, I mean, you know, the other thing to tell people is interesting. Like when we started, we were the only uh, smart thermostat in the market. We invented the category, right? And we had this product and it was a really good product. Um, but then Nest came out and it was like, holy crap, right? And, um, you know, we thought we were, you know, playing in the NHL, but the reality was we were champions of the North Toronto Minor Bantam Hockey League, right? And we had this realization that if we were going to play in the NHL, we really had to retool. And we really had to, like, you know, double down and do a bunch of things significantly better. And I think, you know, credit to the team, we we went from, I think, a very, you know, solid product to really a really great product and understanding what it takes to actually really be good and really execute at a sort of 95, 96, 97% level um, is what it really takes to win with consumers. And if you think about how we compete with Nest and Google, I mean, you know, Google has more money than God. So how does a company like Ecobee compete with, with Nest and Google? And the answer with that, to that is really we have to win with consumers. And if we can turn consumers into fans, um, you know, then that's a massive, massive lever that you can outspend. Um, and so that's really what we set out to do. Coming up, the future of voice-assisted technology and why Ecobee doesn't want you to buy a new model of their devices every year. When you started, as you say, you invented the category, I would have thought that not necessarily the investment community would come running with money for you, but that there would have been an automatic acknowledgement that this was a good idea. Did you not experience that, given that you were first to market? No. So I think like when we started, they were like, who cares about thermostats? And who's going to spend $249 for a thermostat? Like you can buy one in Home Depot for $39. So why would anyone spend $249? That was a conventional wisdom at the time. And then when Nest came out, they were like, oh, yeah, it's obvious. But Nest is already one. And so therefore, you should go do something else. And it's a, it's a winner-take-all market. Um, and I don't think either of those things are true. Nest wasn't launched by Google, was it? Wasn't it a? It was an individual company that had been acquired. 
right? That's correct. So Nest was founded by a gentleman named Tony Fidel. Tony Fidel was the um, the lead on the on the team that made the iPod. Uh, and that was his claim to fame. And he's a, you know, he's a very, very smart guy. Um, and he was actually one of our first customers. And, um, you know, he decided to make a thermostat. And, um, you know, and I think that had both good and bad things. And I think, you know, the good news was that um, it created a lot of awareness in the category. And, and that awareness in the category helped us. Um, the bad news was, and maybe this was good news too, was that, you know, he was incredibly gifted. And so he set the bar significantly higher. Um, and that drove us to clear that bar. Um, and so I think if you asked people today, um, you know, people would say that we're the innovator in the space, um, that we're moving the market faster, uh, forward faster than anyone else. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, we started with this sort of, you know, what do you, who cares about thermostats? What are you going to do six months from now? And I'm more excited about where we are and what our product roadmap looks like. And we're talking about machine learning and AI and far field voice and advanced sensor technology. And, you know, who would have ever thought that came in a thermostat? So what was that second to last one? Far field voice? Far field voice. What does that mean? That means the ability to use your voice to talk across the room and interact with the cloud services you love. So uh, Google Voice Assistant or uh, Amazon Alexa. Um, so, you know, our, our concept is really we can embed speakers and microphones into everyday devices you already have. So you don't need a new Echo or Dot to put on your coffee table. They can be integrated into your thermostat, into your light switches. I have teenage kids and uh, my teenage kids come home from school and they go up to their room and you never see them again, right? But they have a light switch in their room, right? And so it's a nice Wi-Fi connected light switch, but it also has speakers and microphones in it. So I can be in my kitchen and I can say, Alexa, tell the kids it's time to come down for dinner. And you know, automatically Alexa rings a little bell and tells them to come down for dinner. And what's really cool is they listen to Alexa when they don't listen to me. I don't understand why. Um, but there are all these great things that you can now do with the, the product. So whether it's, you know, play Coldplay and automatically Coldplay comes out of your Sonos speakers, or you say play House of Cards on TV and you don't have to fumble with the remote, House of Cards comes on the TV, or you know, order me an Uber, all those things can happen. And, and we believe that we're creating a new computing platform in the home. And so you think about desktop being the first one, mobile being the next one, Farfield Voice enables really a new computing platform um, that we're seeing is disintermediating uh, mobile because I don't need to pull my phone out of my pocket. I can just use my voice and I can do all those things that I just talked about and a whole bunch of other ones without ever doing anything. It's just part of your stream of consciousness. And so it's much easier and much more natural. How maneuverable is the technology? I, like I just think of, I always think like my daughter's at UBC now and I always sort of think, okay, what what can I send her that would make life easier? But, but the Ecobee would not be one of them, would it? Because it, it can't really plug into an existing infrastructure, can it? can totally plug into an existing infrastructure. It's not designed to be moved. I mean, I think, you know, again, one of the things that I, you know, that, that I find really exciting about our, 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 our company is we're very focused on sustainability. And so this idea that our products aren't disposable, and we expect that our products are going to be installed in your home for the next 10 years. And we're not trying to sell you the next great thing and get you to upgrade. Um, if you look at our products, if you brought our very first product in 2009, it will work with Amazon Alexa today. And so because our products are connected, um, because they're software upgradable, you get all these great features over time and the products get better and better over time. Um, and so it's really not about, you know, trying to get you to like ditch the last device from you and buy a new one. It's really about how do we deliver more value to you over time. And how does the business model of that work? Because isn't if you're 
in the hardware business, you, you want people to be purchasing the latest line? Well, I think, you know, we want people to advocate on our behalf, right? And so if you look at all the places that, um, you know, that money gets spent, um, you know, if we can give you a great experience, if you can tell your friends about it, um, you know, that's the least expensive way for us to build our brand. And the market is plenty big enough that we don't need to sell you a new device, you know, every two or three years in order to, to make the, the business work. Um, what we really need is, you know, rather than spending, you know, tens of millions of dollars on advertising, we need you to tell your friends about the product. That makes sense. And obviously you're a private company, so you don't need to disclose anything, but in terms of market penetration, can, can you speak to sort of where you are at and where the market is? Yeah, so we're uh, we're the fastest growing brand in the category. Um, last year we took 60% of the overall category growth. Um, we have about 30% share. Uh, we're installed in millions of homes across North America. Um, so it's really exciting. It's been uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful trip so far. And like I said, I'm more excited about where we're going. In terms of where you're going, the I read that uh, you secured significant investment. Is it 80 million so far this year? So we received oh. 130 altogether. Okay. Uh, so it was a significant round. We're almost 500 people now, um, and uh, you know we have high aspirations <laughs> and big goals, and uh, and so we're really excited about about moving forward on those. I think the article that I read was from March, and you were at 330. Yeah. So, so you've added 170 since March. We have, yeah. So we've been on an incredible tear, uh, which is you know really exciting. A lot of new talent, and I think, you know, again, one of the things that I'm most excited about is you know it's the passion that people bring. Um, you know, we tell people you know bring your passion. Um, you know, we have lively debates. Um, we have total transparency, and, uh, and you know, people just creating great, great things. And we have this hardware lab where you can walk in, and you know, you can see the 3D printers going, and you know, they're soldering irons, and there's wire, and you see people with rope, and there are people like making things every day, and it's just, it's just a really exciting place and cool place to be. How do you preserve, maintain the culture? Uh, which I'm, I'm presumably you're very proud of, um, with such rapid growth. I think it's our biggest challenge, to be honest. So to think about you know how we um, how we operate at speed and scale. Uh, you know when you're again seven people in a room, you, nobody wonders like what the strategy is or why you're doing whatever you're doing. Um, you know when you get to be over a certain size, which is probably about 50 people, it becomes more and more complex. So how you communicate, you know, how do you not lose the institutional knowledge when you added 20% of your workforce in the last 12 months, as an example? You know, how do you do that? And so it's something that I don't, you know, I don't think we've totally nailed, but it's something that we're working on, um, and that's really about a lot of communication thinking carefully about, you know, how you hire and what's important to the people that you, that you hire and bring on. Um, it's about giving people opportunities to, uh, to really be empowered and, and do great things. Um, those are all things we think about. When the company was seven people, what you did then presumably is radically different from what you do now. Can you talk a little bit about like what your day and week looks like? We've got this massively growing company. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like when, when we were seven people, I was basically a product manager, right? Yeah. So I was called the CEO, but really I was a product manager on a team of seven people. Um, you know, today I think my role is much more around communications, 
helping link different parts of the organization together. Um, because I, you know, one of the things I'm fortunate is I get to hear a lot of conversations that impact different parts of the company. And so being part of that bridge that connects the different groups together is, I think, a pretty important part of my role. Um, certainly evangelizing the business and, and, and speaking to whether it's investors or, or media or customers is, you know, spend a lot of my time doing that as well. And so, you know, it's interesting because I think, you know, when you think about when I think about some of the, you know, my heroes who are entre- who have been entrepreneurs, you know, sometimes it's easy to look at someone like, you know, called a Mark Zuckerberg or you know Jim Balsilli and Mike Lazaridis and say, you know, either it was lucky or you know whatever. And 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 I think one of the things I've come to appreciate is just how hard it is to take a company from zero and really scale it into a global leader. And um, you know that's something that I'm I'm working hard at. It's interesting that you you identify those three, and I'm sure you could have picked from for many, but each one of those people, uh, sort of two in one, have had significant challenges. Uh, Zuckerberg more recently, and uh, Balsillian and Lazaridis uh, a few years ago. What have you learned from from that? Uh, one, it's hard. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's I think it's hard. So it looks easy from the outside. It's easy to be. Uh, you know, uh, a critic basically. Um, but I think it's really, it's, it's really hard. And, um, and you have to, you have to really evolve as a person. Right. And I think, you know, one of the things I love about, about Ecobee is, you know, we have this environment of continuous learning and, you know, really this belief that the company we are today, the skill sets it takes to be successful today versus tomorrow, um, you know, that's constantly changing. And so, um, you know, when I think about it for me personally, thinking carefully about not being the same person that I was yesterday, but continuing to learn and grow. And I think that's another part of what makes it, you know, really exciting and how and why we're into, you know, machine learning and far field voice and these cool sensor technologies and all that stuff is all about like, you know, we need to reinvent ourselves basically every single year. Zuckerberg in particular uh, encountered some tremendous headwinds this year around, you know, privacy. Uh, that is something that presumably informs lots of your thinking. The, the device uh, that you're creating could be perceived as intrusive. Hmm? How, how do you feel about that? I think it's a great point. And so I think it's, it's you know, it's, it's one of the core learnings we have. And I think one of the ways that we're significantly different. And so when we think about, you know, what makes our company successful, you know, we're an invited guest into your home. And so we should act like an invited guest in your home and we should treat our customers like we would want to be treated. And so I think the way that we think about customer data is very, very different than really everyone else, right? And I think everyone else is saying like, you know, take the data, hoard it, figure out how to monetize it, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we really did the exact opposite. And I think, you know, what we tell people who join us is, you know, our goal is to create the company that we always wanted to work for. And so out of that came this um, insight that, you know, if you looked at the way energy efficiency research has been done, typically it's done on four homes, right? And so if we really want to create a, a better tomorrow, if we really want to create this, you know, future where that is sustainable, um, you know, we need better energy efficiency research. So we created this program called Donate Your Data. And we allow our customers to donate their data, it's their data. We take it, we anonymize it, we create it into these massive data sets, and we share it with researchers 
all over the world. And those researchers are working on incredibly cool products from or projects from, you know, how we better heat and cool buildings to how can we help seniors live longer. There was a group in Indiana that used the data to calculate that they didn't need to build a billion dollar gas fired uh, generator to save the ratepayers of Indiana a billion dollars. Um, and so it's really cool what you can do when you um, take data, protect it, give it to consumers who are the ones who actually own it, but then also enable them to do you know incredible things with it, which we've done through this uh, Donate Your Data program. What is the partnership like with Amazon in, in terms of the your top of the line Ecobee device is is has Alexa built in, right? That's right. So so you control obviously part of the hardware, but but Amazon obviously can has a piece of that, right? So we control all the hardware. Okay. Um, and essentially the way that it works is, you know, when there's a there's a small processor on the thermostat and or in our light switch and when it hears the wake word Alexa, we then capture that voice snippet and we send it to Amazon and then they do the part where they translate the um, the speech to text and then they take the text and they use natural language understanding to understand what you actually said and then they have the integration layer that integrates with all those different services so if you say order me an uber one will show up at your door or you know whatever the case might be are you an acquisition target for amazon in the same way that nest and google sort of became friends i hope not i mean i think you know our goal is to build a you know a really great standalone company and um you know, I think, you know, you look at the, the time and effort that people put into building the business and, you know, how excited we are about the business we built. And, you know, we believe that we can build a large standalone business ourselves. Um, and I think that's really the only way to build a great business. And so I think our number one priority is really, you know, how do we build this great business? How do we build a business that, you know, when you think about uh, the brands that, that you love, right? People, way people talk about Apple or Porsche, you know, we would like to be that company that people talk about Ecobee like they do about those those brands that they love. And so it's really about how do we create this great company that, you know, stands the test of time. And if you ask me why, why I'm here, you know, it's really about, you know, how do we do exactly that? How do we how do we build something great and, and not just something great, but something that's that's great that also does good for the planet, that's sustainable um, and that makes a difference in people's lives. Uh, Stuart, thank you so much for coming in today. It was great to speak with you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. That was Stuart Lombard, CEO of Ecobee. That's it for this week. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite listening app, and leave us a review. This episode was produced by Ali James. I'm Noel Halsman, and we'll see you next week.